Welcome back to episode two of the PhD in Parenting podcast. The podcast where we talk about being a parent in academia and an academic at home. We're your hosts. I'm Judith. And I'm Erin. So in this episode, we're going to try to talk about what it's like having children during graduate school. We'll discuss our own experiences as well as what the research has to say. That's right, Judith. Uh, So we talked a little bit about our children in our first episode as far as their ages and more specifically about what it's been for us and for them during the stay-at-home order. But I wanted to share during this episode a little bit more about our own experiences as graduate students with children. And so I wondered if you could kind of open us up today by explaining a little bit more about when you had your children, where were you at in your graduate school process, and even if you feel comfortable, how did your family planning fit in with your graduate school work? Absolutely. I think going back chronologically like this is really uh, is going to be interesting um, and will help us sort of uh, move through the stages a little bit. Um, I, so I, when I entered the graduate program in 2010, I was childless and unmarried. And within two years, I wasn't either of those things. Um, or after I did two years of coursework and then my daughter was born, my first daughter was born, uh, that following July. Uh, so I wrapped up coursework in April and was pregnant the last semester. And then she was born in July. Um, I definitely, it was definitely sort of planned that way, I would say. I was anxious about, or I wouldn't have necessarily had the courage to have my children earlier because I was worried about coursework and attending classes and having somebody cover that. But then I knew that once I was out of classes and was going to be working on my dissertation by myself, I felt more confident that I would be able to handle that. Um Fast forward a few months, uh, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. As you know, I really sort of struggled with growing into that role as a mother. I didn't have much experience with children. I had never babysat a day in my life. So wow. Okay. (laughs) I had done a lot of I had done a lot of um, research and, you know, was fairly well versed in feminist theory and had all of these ideas about how those things would be combinable, uh, working and being an academic and being a mother. And of course, it was it took a lot longer for me to sort of find my path with that than I had anticipated. Um, I took my qualifying exams uh, in November of that same year. So she was born in July, I took my qualifying exams in November. And that was really extremely difficult. Um, I think that was probably the low point of my career, um, my academic career. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, It was it was extremely hard for me to prepare. I so our the way that our teaching loads were, um, as you may remember, is usually at Wayne, we taught two classes in the fall and then one um, one class in the winter semester. And I had gotten the support from the department that I was able to switch the schedule. So after she okay. was first born, I that fall semester, I taught one course and I taught that in the morning. I had an early morning class and I think I did the same thing the second semester that I taught. My husband was working construction at the time. So he had a little bit more flexibility with his schedule. So I was able to drive down to campus in the morning, teach my class, um, and then come back um, and be with my daughter for the rest of the day. Um, And I think, you know, we can talk about this a little bit more as we progress through this episode. But um, 
it was definitely more difficult than I would have anticipated to continue to prepare for my qualifying exams um, while also having a baby around, even though a newborn baby obviously still sleeps a ton. Um, True. And then another challenge that I was specifically facing was that I had come into the dissertation, into the PhD program with a fairly clear sense of what my dissertation was going to be. But that ended up making no sense in the context of, you know, the advisors that were available, their areas of expertise, the coursework that we had taken. So I was derailed in that. And then at the qualifying exam stage, I again um, had to or after the qualifying exams, I still sort of had to figure out what my dissertation was going to be. Even after the qualifying exams, I don't know how that was for you. I did not have a clear sense of what my dissertation was going to be. Um, I also had a ton of um, materials on my on my reading list for my qualifying exams that I that were new to me that hadn't been covered in any of the classes um, because I sort of had developed an interest outside of what was covered in the classes that were being offered at Wayne, and so it was it kind of felt like starting over a lot of things at the same time, and then during that first year. My husband also went to Germany for five months, so I was alone with a newborn and trying to figure all of these things out. Now, when I say alone, of course, I wasn't actually alone. We were living near his family. His family is extremely supportive, so I got a lot of um, support from his mother with watching the baby, um, helping me figure out how to do all those things and whatnot, and then... It took me a little bit longer to sort of put together my perspectives. I think that took almost a year after the qualifying exams, which is not what the ideal timeline is, um, at least at Wayne. It was supposed to be closer to six months, but I still think it worked out. I ended up with something that I was able to defend and then move into the um, writing stage. And then... um, I worked on that from the Detroit area, teaching classes for a couple of years. And then my husband ended up with the job in the D.C. area. So we moved out there. That made it a little bit harder um, to continue to work on that without sort of the support of other grad students. Um, We had a writing group and things like that. So I was disconnected from that. Um, And then you know, my daughter was getting older and older and I knew that I wanted to have more children. And so by the time I think she was three, I still wasn't done with my dissertation. But at the same time, I didn't want to hold off on um, having another baby. And so I got pregnant again with a chapter left to write. That pregnancy was more difficult than the first one. And I just did not get the same amount of writing done so that by the time my son was born, I still had a chapter to write. Don't ask me how that happened, but it happened. (laughs) Right. Um, And then, so then I just kept pushing it back and pushing it back. And by the time he was almost ready to crawl, I realized once he's crawling, I will definitely not be writing any further. And so, you know, once he started sort of getting there, I decided this is the time for me to to get get my act together, draft the last chapter, and then I was actually able to wrap it up fairly quickly and submit it 
before he started crawling and then defend it um, soon thereafter. So that's sort of um, my long uh, winded way of explaining my way through the program. Uh, I did. Yeah. Like I said, it was, I think I answered the question about family planning a little bit in, you know, in going through it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I taught some classes along the way, but I never worked full time like you did, Erin. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit more. What was your um, experience with kids in grad school and work? Right. It's funny uh, that you bring this up because I always joke a little bit, but it was meeting your first daughter. Um, My fourth daughter is quite literally close to, I think, nine to 10 months younger than she is. Um, so it was meeting your newborn. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I I, I could do this one more time. Um, so we have a little bit of a different path. Um, I was I clearly remember being pregnant with my second daughter in the first semester of my MA program. And that was at Mary Grove College in Detroit. And um, I remember because I had her on spring break, uh, it was just so happened that she was born the week of spring break. And I came back to class the next week and everyone was kind of like, what are you doing here? And I was kind of like, well, why wouldn't I be here? You know, I had a pretty good pregnancy with her. Um, and since it was my second child, I felt a little more comfortable. I think a couple of things that you've talked about that really resonate was just the need for child care. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But my husband as well was kind of doing... Um, also doing construction work. And he's since kind of gone on to like do more of his own business, but he had some flexibility, right? Uh, But there's a lot of time. Graduate school is so, um, you need a lot of time. Let's put it this way. And I felt like sometimes I was gone from my home for like 10 or 12 hours at a time. And that was difficult. So I had um, two kids. And then uh, the third one, um, that was not uh, necessarily a family planning move. I found out I was pregnant right before I was going to start the program at Wayne State, my PhD program. And that was um, that created a challenge for me because I did have some more health issues during that pregnancy. I had um, high blood pressure and things like that. And so I was all ready to sort of start in the fall of that year. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I had this like three-day-old infant in classes. We're starting and I was on high blood pressure. I wasn't feeling well. And I'm like, there's just... I just can't do this. I've got to be realistic. And I was really sort of disappointed, but I would not have met you or anyone else in our cohort. So it's kind of, it all turned out. Um, And the funny thing with that is too, I started the next year as I was not funded and I just happened to be in a class. I started that next year after taking a year off and um, lo and behold, I mean, someone else decided to drop out of the program that had a funded spot. And so I ended up being funded and I was like, oh my gosh, I guess everything fell into place. I met you. I met a lot of our other great friends. And so it seemed to work. Um, And at that point I had the three kids and then, like I said, I met your um, infant and I was like, oh, she's so beautiful. I wouldn't mind doing this again. And in some ways, I felt like uh, my life as an instructor was pretty conducive to having a family. You know, um, I do have some nice memories of kind of reading uh, having a a, um, a child close to the breast nursing and then reading in my other hand, because like you said, infants sleep a lot. But there was other times that it just seemed a little more chaotic and a little more stressed. But um, I always felt like I, it was manageable. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about what other people think of having kids during you know this time. Um, if there is a chilling effect in the department, what the response was. I know with my last daughter, she was supposed to be born um, right at the end of the semester. She was actually, again, another baby of mine that was 10 days late. So I was so proud because I managed to submit everything, get all my grades in, and... Um, 
then I had her, right? And so oh, it was like yeah, 10 days I remember later. that. Yeah. Yeah. Right at it was the good planning. It seemed, like, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like I planned it, but I really didn't. Right. And um, there was just other challenges too. Uh, so we're at Wayne State University in downtown Detroit. It is an urban R1 college. And I believe, I looked this up today, Wayne State is spread out over 128 acres, if you can believe that. And I just remember for whatever it was, I ended up teaching that semester at one of the classrooms that's like the farthest away from everything. It's really close to like the I-94 freeway. It's the Manugian oh building. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was like nowhere good to park. And I was just like every, I just remember waddling to class and just kind of like trying to be really <laughs> careful. <laughs> and my students looking at me, I remember them like, kind of looking at me like every day they were like, kind of waiting for me to maybe just have the baby. So class got canceled or something like that. Yeah. And there was um, one female student in particular that was just so worried about me all the time. Like, oh, Miss Bell, you know, are you okay? She was just very concerned about my house because I was about, you know, double the size and just tried to make it to class on time. But um, right. I, <laughs> I kind of have fond memories of that time. Um, I think I always felt like it's interesting to watch other people's um sort of process. And we had some friends that just seemed to speed right through the program, speed right through it all. Uh, that was not the case for me, as you know. And we're going to talk about some of the delays and challenges. Um, but like I said, I never really felt like it was my kids that were holding me back. That being said, I was fine. I did really well in coursework. I really enjoyed being in class. I mean, that speaks to a lot of us that are at the grad level. Like we like being in right. class. We're really yes. good students. Yeah. Um, I love that part of it. And then even with my qualifying exam, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that that was not a fun or exciting time for you. I, I just remember um, I really liked my qualifying exam. I thought it was a really awesome conversation. I felt super prepared, really well read. And even one of my committee members said to a classmate, yeah, we just had a really good time at Aaron's QE the other day. And I was like, and it was, it's a, a professor that I think pretty highly of. So I was like, wow, that's really a cool thing to hear, you know? And he was like, yeah, we just had a good time. But I remember kind of getting up after it and I was about maybe four or five months pregnant. I was just like very sweaty and very nervous about it was then when I got to the prospectus and then the dissertation where I don't know if it was a combination of trying to teach and work and all these things, but it was the actual writing of the dissertation and not even the writing. I can show you files. I mean, I probably have 300 pages of uh, stuff that I just didn't use. So it wasn't even right. the act of um, producing that work. I think one thing I would tell anyone that's still in that dissertation process or still even in grad school is kind of coming into the process with like a really clear idea of what you want to do. I just never really had that. You kind of spoke about that as well. And I feel like that's where I sort of got derailed is that I didn't have a clear plan in place and that really affected everything from day one. I have a lot to say. I, I can write about a lot of things, but there was just not this like clear focused project. And that really, that really messed with my um, self-esteem as I went on in the process. So I, for me, the kids were kind of a nice part of my life at that point. Um, and so I wondered with you, uh, if you found any research, um, that kind of has anything to say about what, it, you know, what does the research say about having children during graduate school? Um, is it a positive? Is it a negative? Is, is having a child or two children, does that have any impact on how well a PhD student does in the program? Uh, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, just to, just to go Back when, before I go into that really quickly, one thing yeah. that I think is interesting uh, that you said 
about, you know, the qualifying exam versus the prospectus exam. For me, it was the opposite. Once I got to the prospectus stage, I had, you know, a much um, better experience. It felt much more like a conversation about the work that I was doing and that I was interested in um, than, you know, the qualifying exam where I really just felt like I was being tested and I wasn't, you know, performing well at all. And so um, that, I think, you know, and maybe we can talk about this uh, at a later stage, too, that our writing processes are so different. I think part of the reason that, you know, what took me long to get from chapter to chapter is that I don't um, that I insist on having that clear outline and that clear like path that I'm going to take that sometimes it takes me just way too long to actually start the writing. Um, so that's something, you know, where our approaches are very different. Um, for sure. But to, to get back to what you were asking about, uh, the research about, you know, having kids in grad school, I, there is a book that was published in 2013. So it's a little dated, but I still think that it's very salient. The book's called Do Babies Matter? Gender and Family in the Ivory Tower. And the researchers, uh, Marianne Mason was the leading researcher on this. They uh, did a bunch of research at um, the University of California um, system where they looked at uh, women with children and without children in the various stages of the academic career. And they found, um, more or less surprisingly, I guess, that for graduate students, it's very difficult to sort of make that choice and take that step. There's a lot of discouragement. discouragement. Um, there's a, a lack of positive role models oftentimes. You know, a big issue is the access to quality childcare. I think that's huge, and we can talk about that for a little bit as well. Um, and then, you know, not or it turns out that very few graduate programs actually provide health insurance. For me, wow. that was not the case. I actually probably had the best health insurance I've ever had when I was enrolled in the grad program. So that's something that, you know, people probably do consider as they make that decision. And I think the biggest part is that fear of being perceived as uncommitted. And I do feel like that's sometimes an issue that, you know, there's this idea that like an academic is a thing that takes like every being an academic is a thing that takes like every part of your being. And if you decide to also live out these other facets of you, that means that you're less committed than other people. Um, and I don't know necessarily, you know, that that's, we probably shouldn't worry too much about, you know, what other people think or how other people perceive us. But I know for myself that that's not always easy. And I do think that there was some of the some of those responses in the department that, you know, wh when we started, there weren't very many grad students, grad students that had children. And so um, I think that was sort of a new thing. And I think some of our professors maybe looked upon that a little bit skeptically. Um, so the book finds that uh, there's a higher risk of people of women leaking out of the pipeline, as it's called, when they have children early. However, the same book also finds that um, at the tenure track, um, or when it comes to being up for tenure, um, being having having children older than six is actually conducive to the tenure case. So that leaves us with a very practical question of if I'm supposed to have children by the time I'm up for tenure that are older than six, 
then I have to have them during grad school. Right. So there's sort of, there's sort of this like really um, catch 22 for women in the Academy where it's like, okay, grad school doesn't really seem to be a good time for it. But by the time that you get to tenure or being up for tenure, it's best if your kids are already older than six. Right. Like don't come um, to that meeting pregnant because, you know, God forbid. And there's, of course, huge challenges to, you know, being on the job market while you're pregnant, um, just in terms of, you know, uh, having that visible, trying to hide it, not being able to address it or whatever, but then also, um, you know, just logistically in terms of how do I schedule, you know, a job, a campus visit if I am nursing a baby and things like that. So uh, there are huge logistical challenges again. But I think, you know, the um, one of the best answers to this dilemma that I've seen in the articles that we looked at um, came from um, Sarah Kenzer, who had an article in um, the Chronicle of Higher Education that was titled, uh, Should You Have a Baby? And I think um, what she's saying is very important. And other people have said this too. And this is true for other people elsewhere as well, is that there probably never is the perfect time to have a child. Right. And so, um, you know, yeah, I, the there's so that if you're ready at that stage, you know, there might not necessarily be the, the perfect time. And so, um, you might just want to, you know, you might just want to go for it. Uh, Sarah Kenzer said, it says in the article um, that the greatest threat to getting an academic job is not a baby. And you already sort of um, spoke to this a little bit. The The big issue that we're facing is that academic jobs are disappearing, right? Especially the tenure track jobs that we're right. you know, taught to, to look after. And so, um, so to then, you know, tell women that they should wait is, is she says pernicious, um, just because it, what usually lies at the end of this is more hoop jumping and possibly a contingent position or unemployment. And so do we want to, um, you know, postpone this decision and postpone this decision to only find that we might not be able to find a job in academia, um, but then we also don't have the child maybe or the family that we knew we really wanted. So, right. Um, right. It is. And wait too long. And as we know, um, a lot of friends and colleagues of mine ended up having trouble with fertility, right? Pushing it off and pushing it off and maybe right. trying at age 40 can be a whole different, um, it's just a whole different experience than maybe in the 20s or 30s. And so in some ways, I feel like I, I didn't plan it. You know, my first um, child was a bit of a surprise. I mean, is it ever really a surprise? I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't like that shocking. Like, but at the same time, I feel like sort of fortunate in a way that I didn't have, I didn't like have to sort of grapple with these issues. I just sort of did it. Um, Poor choice of words, I suppose. But anyway, um, (laughs) I had the baby and then I had another one and another one. But I do, I did have a sense that like sometimes there is a bit of a chilling effect in a department. Um, you know, I would say that some strides were made even in the time that I was at Wayne State, where after my last child, I was given a private office. It was very, very small, but they were like, this, this Aaron is in case you ever need to pump or nurse your 
child. And I was like, well, that's that's pretty thoughtful. Thank you. Because when you're talking about the job market, um, when I when I just finished my master's degree, I was working as an adjunct. And you know, I have some really visceral memories of taking a breast pump into a restroom, you know, into the stall with a toilet and trying to use the breast pump there. And, you know, it was very awkward, very uncomfortable, and I dare say probably not very sanitary. And I remember some of the students being in the restroom going, oh my gosh, what is that noise? What is that? And I'm just like, it's me. I'm using a breast pump, you know, and because I was an adjunct, I was not connected to any union or anything like that. I had no idea if there was a nursing room. Um, This was more like, I want to say 2010. So I don't know if everything was quite up to speed the way it is today. I know at the college I work at now, there are um, lactation rooms and they're there and they're like very um, visual. You can, I mean, there's a clear big sign. This is what this is, but I didn't have that back then. So there was that, that was kind of a challenge for me as well. And um, now I'm quite a bit older, so I haven't had to like really think about it. I have four kids. They're all healthy. That is so awesome and amazing. But um, I do wonder sometimes, I always felt a little bit shy about announcing that uh, fact because I I don't know. I don't know if it's perceived on my part, but like even when I was in class, you know, people would be like, oh, you have kids? Like it was so weird, you know, yeah, um, and sure. like, oh, you have three kids or oh my right. God, you have four yeah. kids. And right. I, I didn't want that to be like the only thing I was known for. And I didn't, I felt like maybe sometimes then there was this like people didn't, wouldn't take me as seriously for some reason. And is that perhaps my own perception based on sort of the things that you write about in your dissertation, ideologies and narratives about motherhood. I mean, I don't know that any one of our classmates was like, gosh, Aaron, you're not as good of a student because you're a mom, but maybe it's all a little bit in my own perception, you know. Uh, But in the department, when I think about role models and I think about trying to look to people that had children, I don't know that um, there's any tenure track professor that I know that has four kids that I could think of in our department. Right. Um, and and I think you know, even, even if you're saying, you know, it's perceived or whatever, that's still, I think, internal internalized narratives that are out that are floating around somewhere like that doesn't come out of thin air. So I do think that there's sort of that notion that um, if you're also having kids, then, you know, you might not be fully uh, committed to the academic career, especially with some of the some of the things that are required. uh, If you are going to do a full, you know, job search, uh, a national job search, you have to move all those children, right? Are you willing to uproot the whole family? You know, there is that sense that if you're single, and you're unmarried, you are less likely or you're more likely to be able to, um, to move the book that I was mentioning earlier, uh, the Do Babies Matter, actually also mentioned that in job search, women are often um, less likely to get picked if they're married because the search committee might assume that the husband is not willing to locate. And so those are those are all assumptions that are made that you know some research has found are actual things that people um, think about. Um, and that affect how female scholars are perceived by others. I definitely think that's um, not just made up. No, that's a really uh, good point, too, because it has personally impacted me. I, I, again, was very, it was serendipitous. I got a job I applied for. It's a teaching-heavy job. Um, So there's not as much um, onus on me to get research done, although I try to do it just to kind of feel like I'm still current. But 
since it took me a little bit longer to finish my dissertation, you know, my kids have gone from being kind of young to like now I have someone who's going to be a junior in high school. And to me, to sort of go on now a, a nationwide um, job search, I just I can't really do that to them because they have their own social groups. In my mind, back when I started all this, I was like, oh, that'd be so neat, you know, just to maybe pick up our stakes and go somewhere new and find a new place to live. And I was okay with that. And my husband thought it would be fun. You know, we thought that sounded really neat. But now it's like, well, when you have kids who are teens or even maybe 10 or even seven, they have social groups. They have people right. they like. They have their routine. Um, and so now I said, well, maybe I would look again after my son graduates from high school because he really likes his community, his little high school. He really enjoys that space and place. So I can't take that away from him. I mean, I could right. if I was really cruel, but right. I'm not going to. Um, and so that has prevented me from looking. And then I always see these like really awesome looking postdoc positions for a year. And you really, how could you do that? That's what I've said to my own husband. I'm like, oh, this sounds so cool. It's in this state I've always wanted to move to, or it's at this really excellent um, university. And I know I could do this job, but am I going to like uproot everyone for a year? How do you even do that? What does it even look like if you're not in a rental, you know, and to move four kids and two cats and a dog across the country for nine months. I mean, you know, that'd be great if I was younger and not married and no kids. I think that would be doable, but it's really not for me at this stage of my life. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that that's something um, to, uh, that's something that it helps if you make this choice early to know what your priorities are, because that doesn't get easier later in life, you know? And so no. if you do get that tenure track job right after graduating with a PhD, then that's great. But if you don't, and you have to go, sort of jump through those hoop and hoops and move and move and, you know, but you also know that you want to have kids, then that, uh, then that pushes that, you know, later um, and, and keeps pushing it back later. Uh, one of the, one of the key phrases from the book that I thought was really, um, helpful was that the biological clock and the tenure clock are ticking simultaneously. Right. And so I think that's really important, uh, important way to think about that. And for me, it was definitely, um, the important or the right choice to start my family early to know really what my priorities are and what I'm willing to give up, um, each, you know, for, for each of the, for each of the things, which ended up in my case, you know, um, very clearly sort of the, the early leaking out of the pipeline, if you will, um, and looking for careers outside of the academy. And that's something worth mentioning too, for anyone that's listening, that's still in the dissertation stage or just about to go on the job market, kind of thinking beyond just working at a dream R1 school. Um, I had to be realistic Absolutely. about my goals as well. I knew early on that because of my career trajectory and everything else, I was just probably going to be applying more towards liberal arts colleges or career colleges or community colleges. And so I think keeping that in mind, um, I can't say that community colleges are any more supportive of uh, female candidates or things like that, because I know I've gone to a few conferences. I sat in on a very interesting panel about women working in the community college, and it kind of resonates what you already um, sort of spoke to in this book, which is that while many women are hired in at community colleges and there are many female professors, 
they kind of, it kind of ebbs off. They don't get into the roles, the higher level roles of admin or, you know, roles of power um, as much as their male counterparts do. So it's very odd. It's like a disproportionate number. And it was a really interesting panel that I sat in on. So you, you know, you look around and you see a lot of female colleagues at these places, but they don't always make it up. And if that's one's goal, then that's, we're kind of at a loss there as well, as far as being women, because it's all the kind of things we just discussed. So I think having some clarity about the types of jobs that we can get. Um, Also, keeping in mind that I've known a lot of really great people that have just been stuck on the adjunct track for a very long time. And that's really, that can be really frustrating as well because he spoke to the fact that we had pretty awesome insurance at Wayne State. I remember because I wear glasses, as do you. Uh, We had really good optical, we had dental, and it was really nice because um, to be honest, I was an adjunct with uh, the first couple of kids. So I had to be on Medicaid to have them. Mm-hmm. And just the treatment, I, I mean, again, maybe it's my perception, but from moving toward Medicaid benefits to actually having full-on really great health insurance made a world of difference for me. So that was really important when I was in grad school. But then to go back on the adjunct track, we don't have any of that, right? So all these things, it's, you kind of have to keep in mind when you're thinking about what you want to do as far as family, where you think you're going to end up. It's all There's a lot to consider. Um, so I kind of thought it would be interesting to switch gears a little bit, not super, um, and not, not a huge switch in topic, but just, I also found a little bit of research. Um, and I was really intrigued by this title because I was hoping to find some clarity in why my own dissertation maybe took so long. And I was curious to see if there are connections between people who are parents who are writing dissertations. And so the name of this uh, research article, which was also from 2013, by the way, was what took them so long explaining PhD delays among doctoral candidates. And this comes from uh, Renz van der Schoot, Mara Yerkes, Jolien Mwau, and Hans Sonneveld. And this actually comes out of the Netherlands. But it was quite interesting to me um, about predictors of delays in PhDs. And so um, they kind of break it down. First, they sort of look at, well, what are some predictors? What are some things we can look at that suggest a person may take longer in finishing their uh, research? And the first one they note is institutional or environmental factors, including the field of study. Uh, This was an interesting one, departmental research climate and resources and facilities available to the project. So this even already speaks to something that you already mentioned, which was like kind of what was happening in our department and who was available and what classes were available uh, play a huge role in where your dissertation might end up. So not so much the kids, but like what's available at your college, correct? Right, absolutely. And then again, I think the field is very important too. So, um, you know, as English PhDs, a lot of our work is reading silently at home. But if you're working in a lab environment, that puts you in a whole different um, situation. So I think those those factors are really interesting and uh, important right. to consider. Right. And I think we were told I want to say in our very first grad class that like, you know, if you're going to be a literary PhD, instead of focusing on English composition, that's already going to like what, like have your job prospects um, (laughs) because it's like such a specialty field. And I was sort of told, well, if you really want a job, you know, go for composition. But I thought, you know what, I want to do what I really love and I'm passionate about. And I know most of the work we did as graduate teaching assistants was usually in teaching composition. So I got that experience 
experience. I did some reading groups. I served on some committees about um, composition curriculum. But our field, you know, again, kind of thinking about that maybe when I went in might have been a little bit more helpful too. like, okay, no, there really aren't that many jobs in literature, Aaron. So maybe you might want to think about that, right? Um, That was something I didn't keep in mind. Um, Second, I think that when people give you advice on what to consider sort of for the long term, another advice that another piece of advice that we got very early on was to um, look at the areas that people are hiring in. So get the the job list and look at what areas people are hiring in, even within uh, literary and cultural studies. I was like, nah, I'll just work on what I want to work on. And <laughs> right. then, and now, you know, I realized, well, you know, that was probably not awful advice. So right. uh, that's something to keep in mind too. You don't have to necessarily shift entirely from, uh, from lit- literature to composition or whatever, but even within your own field, make sure that you find something that is still viable five years later. Right. I definitely think that's sound, um, sound advice. Right. Um, Regardless of whether you have kids or not. Exactly. Um, So the second point they bring up, which was interesting too, that can predict a delay is the nature and quality of supervision entailing both the frequency of meetings as well as the support of research colleagues. And so I thought that kind of was interesting um, for us. I do feel like our advisor did a good job trying to keep in touch with us um, most of the time. But then you sort of spoke to feeling isolated. I wondered if um, if you felt like you said when you moved to D.C. and you had sort of work to do and you were kind of on your own without a writing group, do you feel like that played a role at all? Did that? I mean, you didn't delay. I will tell you right now. Her <laughs> dissertation is awesome. She did a really great job defending it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but did you think that impacted you a little bit? Did you feel that isolation at all? Did that impact your process in a negative way or positive way? Uh, I, oh, that's hard. I don't even know that I have a specific recollection. I do think I really missed our writing group. We had a, we had a weekly writing group. Um, and I don't know how much writing actually happened during that meeting, but it was just, you know, knowing that there are other people around that are working on the same thing, uh, bumping into people in the hallway and just chatting, uh, grabbing a cup of coffee and talking through what you're working on. I think that's probably the biggest challenge is that I would, when I was still on campus, I would bump into you. I would bump into some other friends that had maybe done some of the same reading and we could sit down for a cup of coffee and you could just kind of say things out loud, which really helps you think through some of the arguments that you're trying to make. And that was definitely something that was missing. And to just have to say, you know, I need to schedule, I need to let's, you know, I need to reach out to people to set something up to be able to have those conversations. That was a challenge for me. Yeah, that's actually a really good answer. And I completely concur because when I kind of went from, okay, finally all my funding's up and I'm working in a different space and I don't really know my colleagues that well, I really did miss that. Just being able to sort of talk through an idea. We had a Starbucks on campus, which nine times out of 10, if I went in there for a coffee, I'd see someone I I knew from the department and just kind of have a quick chat. It might be about something related to scholarship. It might not, but it still kind of always felt like, okay, I'm still in the conversation. I feel as though when I stepped out of that avenue and got really, um, when I was hired in at this other college to teach full time, I really felt, I did feel isolated um, in because a lot of my colleagues are in the health sciences. And so there wasn't someone I could just say, hey, remember? Remember when we read that, you know, um, 
article about biopolitics. What was that again? You I don't remember that. Well, who wrote that one? Or, you yeah, know, right. um, I mean, we had a lot of friends that kind of uh, enjoyed the same types of things that we're interested in. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that was a bit of a stumbling block for me because then I didn't see my advisor quite so much either because I was so busy with work. And there was a couple of times where I went for like a whole semester without meeting up with her. And that was not neither her fault nor mine, but just like our busy schedules, you know? And so that sort of, it's out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to think about this right now. We talked about last time you said um, you sort of spoke to setting up this really awesome plan for getting your work done in the day. And then I said, once you have a really good day, you build on it, right? But it's kind of uh, conversely the same problem, right? Once you have a really bad day, that becomes a pattern too. And I really feel like that. And then it's, and then if there's not sort of like the mandatory meetings or like somebody like bumps into you and says, Hey, how's your research coming along? (laughs) Then you start avoiding, you know, the, the possibility of that happening. And then it's just like, yeah, it's a downward spiral for sure. So then you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps somehow, if you can, and, um, and reach out to that person and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's meet. And let's actually talk about what's going on with my research. So yeah, because I even um, one of my roles as a graduate teaching, I was a graduate teaching assistant. And then I was a graduate. um, What are they? they, There's like two different with GTA and GSA. um, I think something like that. I worked in the writing center for a year as a graduate tutor. But I had colleagues there that were like really good writers. And they kind of would say, hey, you know, do you want me to look at that? Or I have a suggestion. And I really I really miss that. Um, so from this, uh, again, the third note, and that's really it, it, it talks about another predictor of whether or not someone will be delayed is, of course, gender, ethnicity, age, having children, marital status, satisfaction with a project, academic achievement, and expectations about the project. Um, and then it says, in addition, certain personality traits, such as patience, a willingness to work hard, motivation, and self-confidence have also been shown to influence PhD completion rates. Um, and I thought that self-confidence and motivation certainly play a role. Uh, but in the study, they have a quick note on gender, which seems to kind of echo what you already said. It says, the effect of gender on the duration of the PhD trajectory, however, is disputed. While some studies find gender differences, others do not. Some studies report a positive relationship between being married or having children and delays in PhD completion for women. However, others suggest the effects of being married and having children are usually larger for men as the behavioral changes accompanying marriage and parenthood are smaller for women than for men. So again, not a lot of clarity there. It's kind of saying yes, no, either, or, um, it can be a positive, it can be a negative. Um, so I, I feel like it's kind of like lived experience is what we're dealing with now. Um, and we both got through it, you a bit faster than I did. And as noted, I don't always think it was my children that necessarily, um, played a role in why I was stumbling. I think it was a lack of planning, I think it was a lack of a clear focus in my project. So um, to me, I have always said to you, I think that one can have children in this field. I think it's a, a good field to actually um, have children in because there are certain things that we we have some certain liberties, right? That we're not always necessarily nine to five or a 40 hour work week on the job. We can do some things from home, but that kind of leads us to a talk about boundaries, right? What right, kind of boundaries yeah. are we setting? Right, exactly. That's, you know, I think um, that's something that I've been thinking about as we prepared for this episode, um, just to think about, okay, there's this worry that, you know, we're going to, 
look less um, dedicated or um, that it's going to delay our or hinder our career prospects and things like that. And so for me, the question then became, okay, what are we comparing ourselves to, right? I think there's two ways to think about this. Is all of this research that we're looking at comparing women in grad programs to men in grad, in grad programs, or is it comparing women in graduate school versus women in other careers? And I think there's a huge difference in sort of that perspective. So for me, um, I think something that I was struggling with uh, or that made it more difficult for me at first was to think that I only needed childcare to cover the times that I was actually actively had to be in the classroom and I was going to do everything else while my kids were around, like either while they were napping or while they were just kind of, you know, in the bouncy chair next to me or playing with something. And that's, um, and if that's the case, then I think we're probably putting too much on our plates possibly and not, um, drawing boundaries the way that other women and other careers are forced to, right? Most people cannot bring their kids to work. Um, some people might work from home and might try to do that. Um, and some people might be able to have a nursery in their office if they're a CEO of a major company and they can also have a nanny there, but most of us are required to have childcare. And so I think that's an important thing uh, to keep in mind. That was huge for me once I started um, dropping my daughter off at my mother-in-law's um, for extended periods of time. That was really when I was able to jump back into my research. For me, it's also important to have larger segments of time. I have always struggled. It's it's gotten better over the year just because I've had to get better. But um, definitely when I first um, when I first started working on the dissertation, I really needed big chunks of time to really sink into my research. And that's and that's just not possible when you have a baby around or the right. constant interruption interruptions that just throw you out of your thought process. So I think it is, or at least it was important for me to have those boundaries, to have reliable childcare um, and high quality childcare where I knew that I didn't have to worry about my kid. Like she was in good hands and I could could focus on my dissertation. And then once I picked her up, you know, ideally I would have stopped thinking about my dissertation. I don't work that way. <laughs> right. Um, so, right. so, you know, I think the issue of boundaries was probably one that I struggled with the most and I'm still working on getting better at, but uh, I don't know. How do you feel that boundaries work for you? Was that a challenge for you or were you better with sort of multitasking and, and overlapping? Well, I've probably told you this uh, anecdote about 15 times, so bear with me, but perhaps our listeners will find it amusing. But I remember distinctly the our dissertation advisor said, Aaron, it, it seems like you just like write for a little while and you set down your work and you come back to it like weeks later or something like that. Like my, my work, um, which might be good in like poetry or fiction, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's very like choppy, fragmented, episodic. And I kind of said, to her, well, yeah, that's exactly what I have to do. Right. Because at the time um, when I was writing, so then during that process, starting with, you know, then I had a newborn baby and, and three other kids and they were a little bit older, but even my, so one was like three. So I had like a three-year-old and a baby and like a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Um, I did. No, it was like super blurred boundaries. And 
I felt like that that was the greatest um, day of my life when I finally was done with that dissertation and it was defended and the, everything was signed because I felt for like years, I just always had it swirling and sort of weighing me down. Aaron, the dissertation, where are you with it? Why isn't it done? What you should be, you know, you're um, maybe enjoying a day at the lake with your kids or something, but in the back of my mind, yeah, this is a little nagging always, thought, yeah. right? What are you doing in the back of your mind? Um, And you brought up another really important point, which was the childcare. I don't know how people are expected to do this without childcare if they have kids. And for us, I was really surprised that Wayne State did not have any childcare options for graduate students. They do for undergraduate, I believe. I think there's a little childcare center. I thought it was really, really odd that as graduate student, students, we couldn't get um, our, our kids enrolled in that because that would have been awesome, you know? Like We tried. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I never really understood that. And I don't, I can't really speak, that Maybe something I could do a little research on, like do other graduate programs have that? Because if it was already in existence, I, I just, I'm still kind of mad about it. It's like 10 years later and I'm still kind of mad, but how great would it have been to like, okay, I'm going to go to the research library. It's quiet. It's a space. I can leave my baby or toddler there. If I have to go nurse, I don't even have to pump. Maybe I can just meet them and nurse for a little while. It didn't make any sense to me. And so I too, I was relying on um, my mother to help me out. And she had the time. Um, She was, she's been widowed for close to 20 years now. Oh my goodness. But anyway, so she was always like very, very positive about the whole thing, really helpful because it's my mom and my mom wants to see me succeed. And so at least I had that assurance that it was like someone I trusted with my kids. And to be quite blunt, I didn't have to pay for it because if I would have had to try to um, do the work of being a teaching assistant with the teaching load that you suggest, already the boundary of a lot of times at work did spill over into the weekend or at home because you're checking papers at home. You're trying to be this like really awesome, great professor, which is important for my students, you know? So I just felt like everything was really blurry all the time. And that's something I still need to work on is um, setting those boundaries. Now that I am a full-time employee, I still like, I was checking emails this morning and I don't like, I don't know if that's, I guess that's just the nature of our field, right? It just seems like they talk about work-life balance, but if I want to be there for my students, I have to check my email a couple times a day and it's not time consuming, but it seems like I'm online and there's always a little part of my brain that's connected to work. Do you that's feel the what same? That's the issue is you never get that full break. And that was one of the first things that when I started working at the press, uh, that was one of the first things that I stopped doing. When I first started, I had, I stepped into a job that was really, there was a lot, there was a huge backlog and there was a lot of emails. And the person that trained me, you know, sent me a link and she was like, here's how you can check your emails from home, but don't do it. And (laughs) I, of course, you know, from the habits that I had, I, every weekend I would check at least like twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. And every Monday I got back to work and they found out I did that. They would chastise me and they would say, you don't have to do that. And it was such a big relief to get to the point where I was to where I decided I'm just not going to check my emails on Saturdays and Sundays. And that helps you unplug. And then when you go in on Monday, yeah, okay. There's like, you know, a few more emails than you would have other mornings, but then you deal with them and then, and you're ready to dive into the week because you've had that real break. Um, which of course, you know, also that real break also means household things and, and other activities. Um, so it's, 
that's really helpful for me uh, to be able to do that and to be able to draw those boundaries. That definitely helps me stay sane. Yeah, but I think we thing, need that. Uh, one other thing I did want to ask you about is, um, and this is the, we've sort of alluded to this a couple times in the process of discussing this. Um, one of the articles that we were looking at actually had interviewed a male graduate student, uh, which is interesting, uh, who had children, who was saying that um, he is much more focused now that he has the baby. Um, and he says there's much less procrastination. Um, and, you know, he says, now I'm with my kids when I'm with my kids. And then I once I sit down with my dissertation, I'm much more focused. Is that something that you feel uh, is true for you, that you're more productive with your time and that you're that the fact that you have kids sort of has helped you channel your your other energy into the dissertation to help you keep moving? Or um, would you say uh, not so much? I think, I mean, I could answer that in a couple of ways. Um, full transparency, I was an awful undergraduate student. There, it's out there. <laughs> I was lazy. Um, like classes I really liked, I would go and I'd get a four point, but then there was a lot of them that I was just so irresponsible. And I really, there's part of me that still regrets that, that I sort of squandered a lot of opportunities. And so again, I felt um, when I went back to graduate school for my master's, I actually had to have a meeting with the director of the graduate studies because I was put on probation because my oh. GPA was so low from my undergraduate oh. career. And he kind of looked at me like, Aaron, I'm not, I'm sort of, you know, are you sure you can do this? And I kind of explained to him like, look, I'll give you the long and short of it. I was more interested in my social life and doing college right. radio and those kinds of things. But I have to say, I went into that MA program having my son and being pregnant with my daughter. And I was just such a more responsible person. Yeah. Um, to me, my sort of impetus for going back to graduate school was honestly to make a better life for my kids. And so I feel like in some ways, that sort of clarity, that idea of now I get to places on time. In fact, I'm kind of annoyingly early most of the time. And I attribute that to like having to go through four pregnancies, doctor's appointments, right. um, pediatric yeah. appointments. And so I got way better at being responsible and using my time. I think in some cases, I squandered my time when I was younger because I had so much of it. It didn't right. really matter. And we've talked a little bit about this with um, maybe some colleagues that didn't have children. And then they have these like rich and full social lives. And I remember being a little bit like, oh, wow, everyone's going out to Circa. That was like that little bar yeah. or whatever after class. And I'm like, I'm not going, I'm going home. You know, I have like yeah. three kids at home. And so I yeah. feel like in some ways having them was a good thing for me personally, because it really, I, I reprioritized my life. I'm not going out. I mean, I go out once in a while, but very rarely, you know? And so I think it was a positive for me. It's just that I'm better at planning. I'm better at being, you know, I don't, I didn't miss one class of graduate school um, and all the time we were there at Wayne State, I missed only one time it was excused because I was at uh, the Louisville Conference on Literature and Culture. This is the only class yeah. I ever missed the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So I just feel like I'm like more responsible since I had them better at planning. Um, but then there's the other distractions. But I'd say overall, they having them and having that sense of responsibility made me a better student, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you're also 
uh, outside of schoolwork better about, you know, using small pockets of time efficiently. I remember one time you and I were meeting some, I don't know if you remember this, uh, we were meeting somewhere for something. I think it might've even been the parenting group. And I think I tried to call you ahead of time because I, I don't know, maybe I wanted to ask about carpooling or something and you didn't pick up the phone. And then when I saw you, when we, when we ended up meeting, you said something like, oh, I had 15 minutes. So I ran the vacuum. And I just <laughs> remember that that completely blew my mind because I did not think that 15 minutes were enough to do anything, let alone run the vacuum. And so that has been so, like that moment really has stayed with me uh, clearly because I'm bringing it up like five years later or even more years later, um, just to be able to say, all right, I have 15 minutes. What is something that I can do with those 15 minutes um, that I otherwise am using more precious time later for? And so uh, I think that's an example that shows that in a lot of ways, um, if you have children, you have to be more organized. You have to be more efficient with your time. You have to understand that 15 minutes is enough time to do a lot of things. Right. That's hilarious. All that. Thanks. That like gave me my literal LOL of the day because it sounds like <laughs> me. Um, now, five years later, I've upgraded. I have one of those little um, faux Roombas, you know, like oh, you the little, do? yeah, it's, um, it's pretty awesome because again, with the pets, uh, I, I run it about three yeah. times a day though. So I've upgraded. That just that sounds, sounds like, like very much hack. like me. <laughs> that, that is a hack, like a right? Hack. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a good time. Well, I think we've done a really great job sort of like starting the conversation here. Um, if, you know, I think there's a lot more to talk about. And so if any of our listeners had any other feedback or anything like that, they could feel free to email us. We do have an email address available now at Gmail, which is PhD in parenting podcast at gmail.com. And then do we have other social media presence? I believe we do. We have an Instagram account, um, so you can find us on Instagram at uh, under a parent, uh, PhD in Parenting. Sorry, the Instagram handle is PhD in Parenting, um, and we have some posts there that you can feel free to comment under and start a conversation there as well. We'd love to hear how others' experiences um, were with or without children in grad school. All right. Or even later. Yeah, exactly. Right. What's going on now? Um, because I've been out of graduate school for one whole year, right? I finally graduated. Uh, but what is it like trying to balance if you are a full-time academic or you are in another sort of um, academic related field, what are the challenges now, right? Now that you're not a student, is it easier? Is it harder? Would you say it's the same? So we'd love to hear about that and more. 